coming up next on The Breadwinning Mums. What advice would you give the young Tishao? Dream big. Just dream really, really big. Because I think it's going back to the fact that you only know what you know. When we, we, we grew up in the environment that we were in, we saw our uncles and aunts, our parents having a certain type of lifestyle and we thought that was normal. And you think, yep, that's what I'll strive for. Anything that beyond that, you almost go, mm, that's actually not logical. I don't think that's going to happen. But you don't know any better, right? And I think now having seen what I've seen and being exposed and having you know the influence of amazing people in my life, I go, anything's possible when you actually have the right guidance um, around you. So I feel dream big, dream big there. You know, you live, you have one life. You gotta make it count. Do whatever it is that you want to do. So don't dream small. Play big. Welcome to the show. I'm Jane Lim. On the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on, and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today, we're chatting with Tishal Bal, a fellow breadwinning mum with two girls, Isla and Zara. Tishal is the founder of Grit Leadership and a program manager for Metro Trains. She shared with us her life story about growing up in Malaysia, moving to Australia before settling down with a man of her choice, and her secrets to creating a rich life full of big dreams. Here we go with Tishal Bal. Hello, Tishal. Hi, Jane. How are you today? Very well. How are you? Oh, it's Friday. Very, very excited. The, <laughs> the weekend's just a corner away, so which is nice. Is it a, a nice sunny predictions where you are, or is it another rainy weekend? Yeah, I think you you got to be you just got to grab the opportunity when it comes about in the month of August. So today, I think it was <laughs> it was sunny for for I don't know forty five minutes. So managed to squeeze in a quick walk and chat like a like a walking meeting yeah uh, and then back in front of the computer after that so nice so thank you so much for finding the time to be here really appreciate it and I'm really excited to see what you know what we'll chat about uh, but for those listening to us can you tell us a little bit more about yourself yeah sure thing Jane uh, so I'm a migrant woman of color came into Australia from Malaysia about 20 plus years ago uh, chasing, you know, the uh, big, I was going to say big Australian dream. No, I think it's parents just wanting a better future for, for family. So we moved across, uh, got into some civil engineer by background. Um, yeah, so been in, in the industry for about 20 years, but very non-linear sort of career pathway where I got into engineering, but couldn't see myself being an engineer for the rest of my life. So got into multiple sort of startup businesses, 
um, in the area of logistics and also property. So I'm very passionate about property. So I used to buy, renovate and sell, had a renovation company for a good few years as well. Uh, mm. I went to developments. Um, yeah, I actually run a not-for-profit, uh, a certified social enterprise called Grid Leadership, where we tackle gender diversity. I also mentor and coach um, people to create additional income sources outside their nine to five. Um, and I'm also a program manager with Metro Trains. So yeah, I do quite a few different things. <laughs> quite a busy woman. So when you started as an engineer, what area of engineer was it? Civil. Civil engineer. Okay, great. And then you started uh, dabbling into the property market, flipping the properties. Did you do that yourself? How did you get find yeah. the inspiration? Um, yes, I think that the thinking was to actually get ahead. And I actually found, and this this is, I don't know, maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know, is it conflicting? No, I'm not quite sure. But I'm just going to speak from the heart. I guess, uh, you know, we, we, we study really hard, you know, to get good jobs. And then the intent is to keep climbing the corporate ladder to actually do better and better. And Mm. I found that, you know, I was doing what my parents said to do, like study really hard, get good grades and keep keep studying some more and keep collecting all those different masters and degrees. Um, and I found that that wasn't actually giving me a lot of fulfillment or even from a, um, I don't know, finance perspective, I wasn't actually getting too much ahead. Um, mm. You know, I sometimes the idea of, you know, buying a home, but just because you've got a more, you manage to put a deposit down for a house or you get a deposit down for a car, that's success. That's not success. That's a whole lot of debt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I think the idea of actually being financially secure was definitely one of um, the big goals. Um, you know, coming to Australia is, you know, so privileged to be, to be in a country like this where you've got abundance of opportunities. Mm. Um, so I think it was just a good opportunity to sort of go, yeah, uh, you know, willing to actually work hard and, and pay, pay the price of success. Mm. Uh, but then with the, with the hope of actually inspiring others to be able to do the same and, and create impact. So how long did you do the property for, the property um, renovation? Yeah, so, we, ooh, so this was when the kids came along. So when I was in engineering, mm. uh, I was in mining and mm. um, pretty much a, a very male-dominated sort of industry. And mm. we, I was contracting in that space. Um, but when the kids came along, um, so I've got two, two girls, they uh, age 11 and 9. I feel like 9 going on 25, really. Uh, <laughs> um, it's always that second one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to know we're not the only one going through that. <laughs> no, uh, you're not. So, how, how many have you got, Jane? I've got two as well. Six and four, so they're still quite young. You can okay. still control them, but it's always the second one that, you know, <laughs> is yes, the dominant three, three, one. Three spirit, uh, have a mind of their own 100%. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so after after we had had the girls, uh, the economy wasn't doing as well in Western Australia, and mm. uh, and because we really liked property, uh, we I learned from from a mentor on how to actually flip properties, or I learned how to buy distressed properties through um, bank auctions. Mm. Um, interesting. So yeah, yeah, it's very very interesting because you don't find these properties on realestate.com, right? They won't tell you it's no. necessarily a bank auction. So there was a, a way to do it. So we did a whole course learning that, and then I paid our mentor about twenty thousand dollars a year to sort of hold our hand and teach us. I think my husband at the time sort of said, "Are we serious? Are we, are we really doing this? Are we paying twenty thousand dollars?" I was like, "Do you know how to do this?" He's like, "No." So okay, let's pay someone and kind of learn a, a quicker way of um, you know learning from their expertise effectively. Um, mm. I'm glad to say we kind of made that money back in the first sort of transaction in terms of, wow. uh, yeah, which was nice. really good. Um, How long did that, that take, that first flip? Ooh, uh, six weeks. 
for eight wow. weeks. Wow, nice. Okay. Yeah, so right after we did the course, we were, you know, very, very serious on the research side of things to actually find these properties. And when we did, um, we, you know, normally with distressed properties, they are quite run down. Um, so we had to give it a bit of a makeover or a lift. Um, mm. So, you know, got being the engineer, I think, was very organized in terms of, you know, yes. scheduling and stuff like that. But my idea of scheduling was literally to get all the tradespeople in this house all at the same time so that we can get the house done. Did not as work, soon as they can. Yeah, Did course. not work. <laughs> got some very, very disgruntled uh, sort of tradespeople and learned very quickly yeah. what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So that, that, that particular flip probably took us about four and a half weeks. But then mm. the property was back on the market and, and we sold it for, for a good price. And then we moved on to the second, third, fourth and kept doing that. And then um, cash flow was a bit of a challenge because we could only buy a couple of properties at the same time. Mm. I'm going to wait for them to be sold before we could get into more. Um, Mm. And that's when a friend said, oh, my God, you're really fast with your renovation. Why don't you set up your own renovation company? I said, oh, it's a brilliant idea. Where do I start? Okay. Uh, Mm. And then literally that was the journey of um, starting another company and um, no idea where to get clients from. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but and so you know we had, had stands and like with the better homes and gardens sort of expo put a booth there and talked about cheap renovation and then you attract people with sort of cheaper than cheap sort of mindset which was interesting in itself but yeah it was, a, it was an awesome learning experience yeah um but after sort of uh trialing things a few times we, we were you know renovating something like 30 40 properties a year yep yep which is great Okay, so how long was that whole journey from the moment oh, you purchased yeah, the first house? Yeah, about four years. Four years, okay. And it was fun, yeah. you enjoyed it, but it's time to move on? It was, um, I think we loved renovation, loved properties, but then when we realized, when we started doing it as a business, it wasn't mm. very fun anymore. Fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funny how that goes hand in hand. <laughs> Correct. Like Because I think like renovations, like, you know, it bring, brings out the creative sort of side of you to think, yeah. oh, how can you actually increase value in a property and, you know, mm. you know, and do, doing that, that side of things. But then when we mm. were doing you know, when we were the finance person and the accounting and the business development and, you know, mm. the project manager and all of that, then it wasn't yeah. so much fun anymore, yeah. I must say. And when we moved across to Melbourne, we had the, from Perth, we had the opportunity to, you know, buy a rundown home and do it up. And my husband and I were like, no, no, that's it. I mean, we're not renovating any more properties right now. Let's just get a nice home that we can move into. <laughs> yeah, you've had enough. So was that around about the time when you stopped the property business and transitioned to your next business next ventures um we know so once uh, once the renovation was was kind of over because revs my husband actually lost his job in the height of mine bust really mm. uh, so there wasn't any more work um in mm. western australia around 2016 so right. i think the business was definitely a saving grace at that point because rev helped me out with that Mm. Uh, but then he got an opportunity here in, in Melbourne. It was, you know, crazy infrastructure boom from 2016 onwards here. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we were just kind of following where where projects were. So he came across and then I kind of, we, we, we kind of closed up shop, if you like. Yeah, you lost your partner. Business. Mm. Yeah, I lost my partner, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, so from he, a business sense. <laughs> yeah, still correct, around, hopefully. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah, correct. Nice. Take us back to the beginning, I guess, if you wouldn't mind. What part of Malaysia did you come from? From Kuala Lumpur. Oh, okay. Nice. And where did you guys meet? Where did you and Rob 
brought me. Oh, this is like a this is like a Bollywood love story in the making. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we we both studied engineering together in a, a local uh, Muslim university, actually in, in Malaysia. Um, okay. Yeah, but but yeah, when I say Bollywood love story, it took us a very long time to finally get together because uh, we were you know separated over a, a period of time when my whole family sort of moved across here for me to finish my studies in Perth, whilst oh. Rev was still back in in Malaysia. Okay, so you knew each other from back then, but did you guys, did, were you guys dating? Were you boyfriend and girlfriend then? Or Yes, that was the, you know, my parents actually had a different um, expectation of what I should, who I should be marrying or have as a life partner. But, you know, that's yep. the thing about parents, right? They, they have their yep. own sort of uh, criteria or checklist, I should say. Is it the unattainable criteria like most Asian parents have, which is like they have to be good looking like an actor, but very rich like a prince, but ha- have a heart of a... Saint <laughs> <laughs> on the money there, Jane. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Unfortunately for for them, he didn't quite tick all of those boxes necessarily, but definitely ticked every single one of mine in terms of being, you know, funny and heart centered and intelligent and and all of the you know all those other amazing things. But nice. what was really funny was I was working um, in the railway sort of industry in Perth, and they were short of engineers. So I actually slipped across his resume to um, the contractor who was really struggling to meet deadlines. Mm. I looked at the resume and said, oh, my God, this looks like a really good candidate. Can we interview him? I said, oh, he's actually from Malaysia. He goes, oh, that's fine. So Rav actually organized a a ticket uh, and a trip to Perth for an interview. Um, And they sponsored him to come across to Australia. And my parents were like, what? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that's effectively the story. And that's how he came across from Malaysia to Perth, literally on his own merit, uh, you know, wow. sponsored by his company. Um, and then, yeah, then my parents finally grew to grew to like him. Yeah. And I like to say that I think he's like the, the most favorite son-in-law. <laughs> okay, that's a good sign. Now, well, that, that's my vision of the story anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how old was he when, or were you guys when he moved here? Oh, so this is um, testing my memory now, probably about 16 years ago. So we're in our early 40s right now. So you would have probably been sort of mid, mid to late 20s. Nice. Okay. Was it uh, a long courtship when he moved here? No, not really. I think, um, you know, going, this is really interesting, Jane, how we're getting into the the. the the nitty gritty of the of the love story itself. <laughs> it's 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 funny how you don't really think about it or even talk about it anymore. Like once you get married, it's so easy to just forget about all the you know early buds of romance and think that life yeah. is just the way it is. But sometimes it's nice, right, to it revisit is. that. Yeah, no, thank you for taking me down memory lane again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was an amazing courtship. Like it 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 went from I think it was eight eight years or nine years before we actually got married. So we had known wow. each other for, for that long. Um, and it was on, off, on, off, because we were living in two different places and parents had different expectations. Um, yeah, you know, it was it was a bit challenging, but I think I was actually meant to get married to somebody else. Um, <laughs> was yeah. like a, 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 um, I think it was meant to be like a, a, a range type marriage with someone else. Um, mm. And then thankfully things didn't quite work out there. And my parents could actually see that, you know, I was, probably going to be a lot happier with the person of my choosing yeah um yeah so it all worked out really well in the end like really really nice sort of love story (laughs) um (laughs) nice yeah and and Rav is really feeling very blessed to actually be be in Australia as well now so you have two girls nine and eleven um what are the names and what are they like 
So we've got chuck and cheese really, and I think that that seems to be the, the flavor with a lot of parents with, with two kids. Uh, so Isla is 11 and Zara's, like I said, nine going on 25. Um, yeah, so I think I like to think Isla's probably a little bit more like Rav, uh, a, a bit more of an introvert in terms of personality type, very structured in terms of thinking, um, very compliance based as well. Um, mm. Whereas Zara's like, you know, so that we're meant to be broken. Uh, you know, <laughs> whatever you, you she say, you say A, she says B, and you know, yeah. it's constantly pushing the boundaries, which I absolutely love as well. Because the thing mm. is, sometimes when we are raised, we always think to actually conform, or at least that was my my sort of way of being being raised. Um, mm. But she's always challenging the status quo, um, you know, which which sort of puts you on your toes a little bit. Uh, but then it sort of makes you think as well, like, oh, do I really need to go down this pathway because society is expecting me to, or do we actually not? Mm. Um, so it's actually quite a well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a nice, nice way to be parenting when you're challenged. Yeah, of course. And it makes you learn a lot more about yourself as well, right? Oh, every single time. Yeah. <laughs> every single time. Did you always know that you were going to be a mom? So, yeah, this, this is also a really interesting question, Jane, because my, my parents were both working parents back in Malaysia. Um, mm. You know, mom always worked and coming from a Southeast Asian sort of uh, country like Malaysia, they could afford um, live-in nannies. Mm. So I always lived, we always had live-in nannies that were looking after us whilst mom and dad working really, really hard, right? That was mm. what we saw. So I guess the whole idea of being a mom and having a job or business or whatever was just normal. Yep was just normal but it's only until I think we came to Australia and then realized how privileged a lot of people were in terms of actually having extended time off to look after children having 12 months like you know literally mm. 12 months off when I say off it's not really having time off is it looking after kids mm. but having that sort of option just wasn't a reality from where, where I came from Mm. Um, and that actually just gave definitely gave me a different perspective as well because sometimes you think about you know you you work really hard to get ahead then when you talk about giving influence or having influence in your children's life you're not quite there to give them influence but you're dependent on other people to provide that influence mm. um, so I think that you know that, that was actually really interesting in itself um, but, but I guess you know yeah I didn't think too much about it but but in the last few years, Rev and I have been talking like, what would life be like if we didn't have kids? Did you think like, but I felt like we didn't think. We just thought, okay, got married, got into business, did different things. Like, okay, let's just have kids. Because you, you have like your parents sort of poking you in the ribs saying, mm. when's it happening? When's it happening? You know, mm. like, mm. Um, and you just kind of just do what society kind of expects you to do. Yeah. I think that that was, that was our story. Yeah, and you never really uh, question beyond that as well. You sort of go with the flow, and then when it fits your timeline, then you make it happen, I guess. Was yeah. there a time when you even thought about maybe it's not for me? I think when I was in, when we first started, when we first got into business, yes. Uh, mm. we, we bought the master license to start up a franchise operation in, in Perth. Mm. Almost like an Uber today, but I think it was probably a little bit early for Uber back, like, you know, <laughs> 10, 15 mm. years or more, more than 15 years ago now. Um, yeah, so the th thinking at that time was, you know, just just get ourselves really secure. Then we can yeah. talk about having kids. I yeah. think that was the thinking. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess the other aspect of it was also the ability to influence. Like we just thought it would be so nice to be able to raise kids a way we, we sort of see fit, um, giving them so much more opportunity that we didn't have. It would be really nice to be able to do that. And I guess that was the thinking to have the first child. Mm. Um, and then, then the first child gets really 
lonely and then you think of maybe you need to have a second child <laughs> which is really what we did and then we're like okay that's it we can't do anymore it just feels like really yeah. demanding but then it makes you think right how is it that our great grandparents used to have nine ten fifteen yes children, yeah and you think two is uh, uh yeah too much. <laughs> yeah it's funny I had this conversation as well with someone but it was a different time right because my parents each of them came from 11 siblings wow. um and like my older aunties actually looked after the younger siblings as well. So it's a completely mm. different family dynamic, different expectations as well. And so much lower standard, I think. Mm. I think if, if, if you have something to eat, you have, you know, clothes and you have shelter, you're good enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And now at the age of four or five, it's or maybe even younger, you've got the iPads and yeah, you know, kids talking about owning their own phones. And yeah, you are 100% right, Jane. Like, you know, yeah. there, there's, there's so much of entitlement from such a young age. Yeah, I know. It's a catch 22. You want to give your kids the world, but then at the same time, you want to make sure that they don't feel that entitlement as well, right? Right. Now, what about career? Since you have both working parents, um, did you always know that you were going to be a career woman then, Tisha? Um, yes, I think I, I did Undoubtedly. Know, yeah, I guess the, the, the thinking was, and it was quite interesting um, reflecting on the conversations me and my sister used to have. So I come from, from a family of three girls and my second sister used to say to me, no, when I grow up, I'm just going to marry someone really rich and then I don't need to work. That was her thinking. And I remember, and I remember this so clearly. And I, I remember saying, when I grew up, I'm going to marry someone who's really very hardworking, just like I am. And we would actually build everything from scratch and then we'll be really successful. And it's really interesting just looking at our lives today. She almost has got exactly what she's asked for. And mm. I think I'm the same as well. So mm. you know, sometimes mm. you cannot underestimate the power of the spoken word. Like you say things yes. and it can become a reality. Yeah, yeah. Now, tell me a little bit more about uh, what life is like for you right now. So you mentioned that you are uh, heavily involved in gender diversity um, and you're also a career coach as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I actually do lots of different things in, in that aspect. So um, in terms of work, yes, yeah, so I'm a program manager with Metro Train. So I lead a team of uh, 25 plus. Mm. Um, and it's all about, you know, helping with uh, Melbourne's big build uh, with the, you know, boom of infrastructure project, which is awesome. I absolutely love my job of building high performing teams and, and, and helping becoming, you know, helping people sort of achieve whatever their career goals may be from a work sense. Mm. But I guess outside of that as well, um, you know, knowing that I've got two girls and, and also just, I guess, experiencing different things throughout my life of, of being in, you know, one, a male-dominated sort of area, but two, also a migrant and a, and a woman of colour. Um, I can see that there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in creating a more diverse, equal and inclusive sort of workplace mm. uh, and environment, not, not just in a work sense, but just anywhere in, mm. in the community. So we, yeah, so we started up uh, Grid Leadership as a certified social enterprise now where we deliver... Um, um, yeah, inclusive leadership programs where we help leaders walk a mile in someone else's shoe. Because mm. that's the thing, right? Like people go, yeah, yeah, that's the right thing to do. I know. But the thing is, most people don't even realize that the biases that they currently carry, mm. like you think it's normal because that's your perspective, because that's the environment that you grew up in. But to yeah. really feel what it's like 
to to see from a different point of view you need mm. to almost walk in their shoe so we use yep. virtual reality as a way to give people that experience and we feel that when people you know when when you have your emotional strings sort of tugged then mm. you go okay it goes from heart to head and then mm. goes okay yes maybe I, i need to do things a little bit differently but until then you're just you're just you know using your brain to think about logic but it doesn't actually go into the heart sort of That's space you. yeah Yeah, so that's that. So we do a lot of unconscious bias sort of training work, and we also create pl- platforms for women to be seen and heard. Like you know, there's so much of mentoring that women go through today. But I feel personally that it's not like they need to be mentored more, but rather they just need to be given a platform to shine. Mm. Um, women just want to be seen. They want to be heard. They, you know, it's not like they're broken that you need to fix them. Uh, they just need to be given opportunities. So our programs are really tailored towards um, creating that sponsorship sort of arrangement between women leaders and people within the organization uh, to give them a voice uh, and a platform, you know, for them to shine. That's awesome. What's catalyzed this, and who is we in this scenario? Oh, when I say we, uh, it's yeah. So although I'm the founder of Red Leadership, I, I don't do the leadership training and coaching per se. So we've So I say we. If I've, I've partnered with some amazing women, royal, uh, yeah, yeah, and and they they deliver the leadership training and coaching aspect. And mm-hmm. I guess the other part of what Grit does as well is because we've partnered with uh, Flourish Girl, which is a charity uh, empowering young women. They run resilient programs in high schools. So that's where mm-hmm. all of our surplus funds from our coaching programs actually go to. So we support Mandy um, through Flourish Girl. Nice. I love that. Um, I'd love to be involved. Uh, yeah, let me know a little bit more information, please, after this, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. But and I think your your question on why, um, I mm. think at the end of the day, or what's the catalyst for this, is that I feel like you can't be what you can't see. You know, mm. ultimately, if you want great things to happen, people need role models. Um, yes. And I think that was evident for me when I had my two girls as well. Mm. You know, one part of me was like. Am I doing the right thing to actually pursue business, set a not-for-profit, mm. have a career, juggle a family, do all of those things, mm. or do I be mom, be yes. mom? Like you know, just like you ha- have time just for them. And it was very conflicting, Jane. Like to think of, you know, what is the right thing to be doing? Oh yes, <laughs> I'm very well aware of this conflict. <laughs> Please tell me more. <laughs> But I think the realization I had was that I needed to follow my purpose as to what was really driving me, and I I, I found it really hard to be a hypocrite to my kids to actually say to them, "You can be anything, you can do anything in the world. The world's your oyster. Just go for it." And then you look mm-hmm. at yourself in the mirror and going, "Am I doing that? Yeah. Am I am I am I walking the talk here?" Yeah. And I think that that's when it really dawned upon me to say, "You know what? No." I, I and we have some really um not intense but really. Um, open sort of conversations with the kids to actually say this this is this is my dream like I want to help more people become financially free and and and, mm-hmm. and we do that to to decide so we don't do career coaching per se but we talk about how we can help um, professional women sort of achieve or do more outside their nine to five mm-hmm. but we all I also believe in the whole giving back aspect so working with uh, with grit and and flourish girl but then the mm. other aspect of it is i love my engineering stuff and building high performing teams so you know my kids say but mama it seems like you have so many jobs 
And I'm like, yes, but you can do whatever you put your mind to. So I, it's, it's easier to have those conversations with them because I'm doing it. Am I doing it right all the time? 100% not, Jane. Like I'm mm. still a work in progress, but I believe that I'm driven by progression rather than perfection. Um, of course. And, 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 so, and so that's really the, the conversations that we have, have at home. Um, you, know, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So you've got to be that role model. Oh, good on you, Tishal. And I think it's probably made a little bit easier as well to be a role model to your kids now that your girls are a little bit bigger and they can understand mm-hmm. it more as well. Yeah. Do you find that they ask a little bit more challenging questions or trickier questions? Um, they do. I mean, obviously, you know, sometimes they say, oh, why are you rushing off this, to this meeting? Why are you doing this? Why, mm-hmm. why aren't you playing with me? Mm-hmm. And um and I, and sometimes you feel, I feel really bad and I go, oh my God, am I, again, am I doing the wrong thing? You know, you, you're, you're in mm. conflict. But one mm. thing that we, we have done with the kids ever since they were young was vision boards. We've, we've always done vision boards every year uh, with the oh, kids wow. when they were probably the age of five. Okay. Um, and it was quite funny though. Zara's first vision board, I kid you not, had pictures of all the different lollies that you can find in the world. <laughs> and I laughed when I looked at this. I was like, what is this, Zara? We're talking about vision boards and the things that you want out of your life and different experiences. She goes, yeah, that's right. I want to I wanna try every single lolly there is out there. Um, you pleasure. Know, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about pleasure. <laughs> Correct. But, okay. I, but I guess that the idea with that is to actually be really clear about what you're wanting out of life. Like yeah. having that clarity and it might change from year to year, but that's okay. But you kind of almost have something to strive for, but work together as a family. So as a family, we all know what we're working towards. Mm. I'm not saying it, it, it works every single time, but it does help with the conversation. So when, when we have dreams, we have goals, we've got work that needs to sort of back that up. Right. Yeah. Um, it, ma- it makes it easier to have those conversations with the kids and go, you know, that, that holiday that we're trying to plan here, that in order to make that happen, you know, I, I need to do a little bit of work here to make that a reality. And so the kids will always say, oh, is, are you doing this work so we can we can do that, make that holiday? I'm like 100 percent. Oh, yeah, just go. Go, <laughs> go mom. <laughs> yeah, just go. That is just so go. awesome. That's such a great advice. So when do you do this in the beginning of the year, end of the year? Yeah, end of the year is when we start, um, you know, start collecting photos and stuff. And thanks to Canva now, you probably don't even need to. Yeah. That's what we used to do. We used to grab a whole lot of magazines from the op shops yeah. and cut yeah. pictures and stick on a piece of paper. But now the kids absolutely love Canva so they can grab literally any type of image they want. And then we literally blow it up as an A3 and got it stuck in our walls. Oh, beautiful. So you would do it individually or together at the same time? Individually. So everyone's got their own vision board. Wow. And that vision board is something that they want to accomplish for the year or just their yeah. future? Uh, I mean, it's hard sometimes for kids to actually think of future, right? So it's, mm. it's right now, today, what I want. So it's quite interesting. Like, um, as you know, last year, this year, Zara actually had on her vision board um, petting horses, like literally pictures of her and horses. She had pictures of slides um, in pools. Um, you know, and then she had a, pictures of a whole lot of uh, the type of toys, which is quite funny. Um, but, but, but though, and, and when we wanted to make certain decisions about holidays or doing certain things and what should we do it's like, Oh, remember on my vision board, it says that I need to go to the place to go and pet the horses. And I really want to hang out with the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's really interesting because once kids actually have it there, they go, Oh, wow. If I've got it there, it means it's going to happen. Yeah. Right. So it really helps yeah. with, with the conversation around how do we make that, that goal of reality. So powerful. Good on you for instilling that at such a young age as well. That's a life skill you know, that it, I wish I'd learned. <laughs> Good on you. 
so you're juggling a few things i would say career but one is not yeah a few things up in the air you're juggling family as well what are you doing to make it work any certain um things that you do any certain rituals yeah um i think i, I can't do anything without a calendar that's for sure everything's literally diarized but having said that i think you, you know sometimes you feel like things are not possible you know again you can't be what you can't see i think it really helps when you have those role models in your life Mm. So for me today, really, really blessed. I've got an amazing person I call my mentor. Like, you know, he's financially secure and has been for the last 20 years of his life. Amazing. But he also has got an amazing career working for NASA as a chief engineer. Mm. Um, wow. And then he runs, he's on board of directors, um, you know, and then he also has got his own not-for-profits and got an amazing relationship with his wife and children. I look at that type of life he's got and I go, it's possible, it's possible. Yeah. So so I think yeah. for me, it was like looking at where people are at, earning their influence in my life and then literally following what they do to actually get there. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think when it comes back to routine for, for me, um, I'm a morning person. Uh, I, I feel, you know, you've got to give yourself a lot of self-care and love before you can give it to the world outside. So I start pretty early in, in the morning. It used to be five o'clock, but I must say in winter, it's probably moved to like 5.45, sometimes okay. 6 o'clock. Um, okay. But the idea is to actually fit in um, a morning sort of workout um, and then followed by like a gratitude journal that I write in, do some meditation, mm. listen to podcasts, read some book, uh, you know, a little bit of my book. And then I'm kind of like ready to start the day. And that's when we wake the kids up and, and, and start the morning. Because I almost feel like when you feel like you're winning, like in yeah. the first thing in the day, everything else is like a bonus. Puts in place. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So it starts at 5.45 at the moment. What time do you wake up the girls? Yeah, they, they're probably up around 7.30. 7.30, so you have about two hours to yourself? Yeah, correct. Two hours of morning walk, journaling? No, morning. I do a HIIT training workout in the house. Oh, HIIT training, sorry. HIIT training. Mm -hmm. And then meditation? Meditation, yeah. Journaling? Journaling. Is, and then, uh, do you stick to those specific um, um, timelines as well? I, I, and I sequence? Yes, I try to. Some, sometimes it goes a little bit out of whack. Something happens. I wake up a little bit later and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. If that happens, and if I'm on the way to the, you know, on the train to work, then I will fit me in my gratitude journal whilst I'm in the train. But I do mm -hmm. do them on a, on a daily basis. Are you able to share with us uh, what you list on your journal? Is it just the three things that you're grateful of and three things yes. that you look forward to? No, very, very good question. So I think when I first learned about this, I was like, oh my God, how, how many times do I say I'm really grateful for my kids and my yeah. husband and we live in a nice house, right? Like you can only write yeah. that so many times and then you go, I don't yeah. know what else to write. Yeah. So I think yeah. what I really learned was, you know, write three things, three good things that actually happened to you yesterday. So literally mm -hmm. my gratitude journal is always about the day before. And it could yeah. be as simple as um, we played an amazing board game with the kids. That was a plus point. Number two, um, you know, I heard from someone that I haven't spoken to in years and we had a great catch up. Mm. Um, you know, I, I spoke to my aunt, uh, you know, who, who lives in Malaysia that I haven't spoken to in a long time. Or we actually tried this amazing cuisine because we went out for dinner somewhere. So it's like, it sounds like really small mm. things, but mm. it's those little things that just, mm. I don't know, that, that creates that that joy and, um, and gratitude because, yeah, yep. you could, could because yeah, good things are actually happening to you. Yeah. And it's also, you're training that muscles where you can catch more positive experiences and magnitude right. them, magnify them, I meant, and not really minimizing, but you can deal with the less positive things as well. 
100%. And it's really interesting, right? Like when I, I've, I've been journaling now for a few years, uh, ever since I think COVID happened, like going to this whole new routine that I shared with you. Mm. Um, and I was trying to encourage my kids to do it, but they won't listen. And funnily enough, like six months ago, Isla, my older ones went shopping. They're like, oh, can I go buy a journal? I'm like, a journal? Because what do you need that for? Because I need to do my gratitude journal. So mm. I didn't say anything, had it. And she writes in there. Right. Mm. And, uh, and it's not it's not daily for her. Um, you know, mm. sometimes it's once a week, sometimes it's once in the two weeks or three weeks. But it doesn't really matter. Again, mm. it's back on the thing that she sees mom doing it. Yes. Then, and she does it. Yeah. Um, again, it can't be what you can't see. So I think it's all about just being that example for, for, yeah. for whoever that you're trying to actually role model for. And yeah. I think sometimes we think that they're not listening, but they actually see what you do. What about meditation? Any specific things that you do on a daily basis? Um, well, just really YouTube, um, you know, Google sort of 10 minute meditation. You get so many amazing things that the feeds that actually pop up. Um, yeah. I get a little bit bored. So you're literally trialing different things every time. Uh, okay. All right. Person. Um, yeah. But I think the good thing with those, well, what, what I enjoy about the meditation side is the manifestation. Because I feel like we don't dream enough. Mm, you know, okay. you know, it's a, life's all about um oh, I got to get up and make the sandwiches with the kids and I got to get to work and I got to do this. You're doing like literally the grind like on a daily basis, right? Mm. But then you don't step up and go, what am I doing all this for? Like, what's the bigger picture? Where where am I going, right? Mm. Because we get so stuck in the in the, mm. in the the grind. Yeah. And and I find like this, medit- like when you're doing meditation, there's so many different ways of doing it. The one that I actually enjoy is the manifestation one where you sort of, picture your life like where it's at what are you doing like what's giving you so much joy whether it's you know it's opening your home up to this beautiful ocean in front of you or you're making this trip or you know missionary sort of trips to actually give back to people that are underprivileged or you know just reading books or impacting lives like whatever it might be for you but it's when you actually visualize those things I don't know for me it just gets me very excited so then I'm like oh my god yes yes I'm actually very excited to do all those mundane stuff because I kind of know why I'm doing what I'm doing yeah the purpose gets bigger and bigger and more real as well wow interesting thanks so much for sharing that that's so powerful you're very very welcome I think I was I was talking to someone recently um about her dreams and uh and and, and it was actually really sad in a way when she said I said oh so did you think you would have the life that you have right now she said absolutely not I said what's what's changed and she said I actually thought I'd be living by the ocean I thought I'd be you know spending a lot more time in nature I thought I thought I thought I shared all these Mm. things and I said, so where's life like for you now from where it was? She goes, complete opposite. I don't have any of those things. Yeah. And then I said, so what ha- what's happened to your dream? She said, I've shrunk them. I said, what do you mean? Then she said, oh, life just happens. And then you look at reality and you go, oh, I don't think that can happen. So I might yeah. as well make the dream a bit smaller. So then you don't feel like you disappoint yourself when it doesn't happen. Yeah. So then you start dreaming small. You start living yeah. small. You start playing yeah. small. And then yeah. I'm like, is this life? Like, are you happy? Yeah. And she goes, no, I'm not happy, but I feel like I have no choice. I'm like, no, yeah. we all have choices. Yeah. But but it's really interesting. I mean, this is one thing my mentor says to me time and time again. He goes, don't let anyone steal your dreams. Don't let anyone steal your dreams. Because the conditioning that we, we, we have in the society that we live in, that mm. they define success by so many different ways, right? But, but mm. don't let anyone steal your dreams because your dreams are your dreams. And yeah. you can make it a reality when you... I don't know, personally, I feel is that if you're plugging in with the right people, with the right environment who lift and inspire and uplift you, then it is all possible. But first, you mm. absolutely just need to know what that is. 
That is so interesting that you mentioned that because I think we all have that one person who is defeated by life and just chose mm. the victim role because it's the easier easier way out, right? Because that means you don't really need to do anything and it's always somebody else's fault. And I think for me personally, it's just like, it's a tug of war between, come on, just, I feel like I want to shake them and just come on, grab, you know, the, the, that horn, that life by the horn again. But at what stage do you keep doing that if someone's not willing to step out of that universe as well? So I don't know. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. It just made me reflect, you know, the very situations that I have in my life too. It, mm. But I feel it's like a bit like the crab analogy. You know, when you're in a, in a bucket with crabs and one crab tries to get out of the basket, then the other crab sort of pull the crab down, right? Yes. I mean, you, you don't have a scenario where crabs are trying to get out of the basket and every crab's trying to help the other one get out of the basket. <laughs> Everyone's trying to pull the crab down and stay here with me. Don't leave the basket, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and that whole thinking is because people feel very uncomfortable when other people are, are doing different things. Yeah. So it Because feels- it makes them look inward as well and think, oh, crap, Correct. what have I done? Correct. Pun intended. <laughs> Correct. No, it's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. But actually, on, on that though, I am really fast, uh, curious as well, Jane, what, what drives you? Because you obviously run, you know, the winning, uh, you, you, you run this amazing podcast. Yeah, moms. you've got a, you a business as well. You're juggling kids as well. What what drives you to do what you do? Oh dear, <laughs> I need to think about this now. Yeah, but you're, so, you're the person always asking other people questions. <laughs> I know that's that's right. It's a trick. It's because so I then have to answer the questions myself, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think the biggest part of it is is like what you said. It's to be a role model to my kids. Whenever I have that conflict between, you know, do I do this because I want to keep growing as a person, or do I go home and stay at home and be mum? I just think okay, what do I want my kids to do when they're in my position? Do I want them to just keep giving themselves to the kids because they think that that's in the kids' best interest or do I want them to grow and be the best that they could be? And I always go back to the second one and that's when I give myself permission and say, no, because by being a better person, I'll be a better parent Mm. and hopefully they'll be able to see that and do the same thing as well. Mm. Yeah, I was just thinking of this uh, story that I heard about this lady who had three kids. She was a single mom uh, and she gave her kids all love, all the encouragement, all the praise in the world. And when they grew up, people thought they'll be the most confident uh, mm. kids who could actually achieve whatever that they wanted out of life. Right. And mm. it was further from the truth. And mm. like, I, I'm very confused, but it came from a very loving environment. How is that? Mm. So the one son basically said, because, yeah, every time my mom looks at a mirror, she talks about, you know, how ugly she looks how fat she is how crooked her nose is and all of that mm. but everybody sees I look like my mom mm. so if my mom thinks she doesn't look all that great what hope do I actually have yeah. you know and then and the mom used to actually get invitations from her friends to try rock climbing or different cuisines and doing different things and mom mm. used to say that's not for me that's mm. for other people that's, that's yeah. not for me yep. and the son said my mom's like my rock. She can do anything in the world. But if she couldn't do all of those things, what makes me think that I can? Like, you know where I'm going with this, Jane, right? Again, mm. it's back to the fact that sometimes we feel by just telling our kids, mm. do this, do this, 
Mm. They don't listen. They just watch what you do. Yeah, exactly. Kids don't listen to you. They watch what you do. Exactly. But that's, I don't think that's limited to like a binary choice of either working mom or stay-at-home mom. I think there are lots of wonderful stay-at-home mom that really makes great role models as well. It's more about how you see yourself and what you do with yourself as well because you can fulfill your potential being a stay-at-home mom by doing mm-hmm. other things as well, right? Um But yeah, I just like for me personally, I I find a lot of joy just growing as a person outside of the family environment. But also I feel like I can contribute a lot more as well within the family environment when I do that. Yeah. I, I, I honestly salute moms who actually stay at home. I couldn't do it. You know I, know. I, almost felt, I know. I almost felt like I ran away. I know. <laughs> I know. So stay at home mom, hats off to you. Yeah. But remember, leave your potential as well. <laughs> I think that I think that's the key thing, like just having yeah. absolute clarity of what you're wanting out of your life, um, yeah. and then go for that. And don't don't let circumstances of life sort of just sort of pull you down to think this is yeah. this is reality and this is just yeah. how life is going to be. I think that's yeah. not the case. And don't make maternity don't make the role of a mom as an excuse not to grow beyond that as well. Mm. Right. Correct. So, Tishel, if you can go back to your younger self, when say when you just graduated from high school, knowing all of the wealth of knowledge and wisdom that you know now, what advice would you give the young Tishel? Dream big. It would be that just dream really, really big because I think it's going back to the fact that you only know what you know. When we, we, we grew up in the environment that we were in, we saw our uncles and aunts, our parents having a certain type of lifestyle and we thought that was normal. And you think, yep, that's what I'll strive for. Anything mm-hmm. that beyond that, you almost go, mm, that's actually not logical. I don't think that's going to happen. But you don't know any better, right? And mm-hmm. I think now having seen what I've seen and being exposed and having you know the influence of amazing people in my life, I go, anything's possible when you actually have the right guidance um, around you. So I feel dream big, dream big day. You know, you live, you have one life. You're going to make it count. So yeah, just do whatever it is that you want to do. So don't dream small, play big. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And one last question. What's your alpha mom song? Okay, this is going to sound really geeky, Jane. Um, you know, I, I feel like the songs change all the time depending on what my kids have got on Spotify. So it's whatever that they've got on, they play it like a million times and then it becomes a song that's in my head, right? I'm going to say geeky because my go-to are literally podcasts. Like when things are happening, like oh, I listen yeah. to music, I just listen to a whole lot of podcasts. I love it. Okay. What's your favorite podcast at the moment? Um, I think I'm going to be adding yours now onto my list very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank But, you. Uh, Shout out. <laughs> But I think uh, the thing is part of the mentoring group I'm part of where, you know, we, we're associated with uh, professionals who've created financial freedom from a very young age. They've created their own sort of podcast that they do of success stories. Mm. Um, and because I subscribe to that, I get a whole lot of podcasts that I do listen to. So it's not necessarily mainstream stuff. It's just associated mm. with the with the business we're building um, and, mm. and the association we've got. Actually, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because I was listening to another podcast called Working Wife, Happy Life. The host is Bethany Baines. She was an early Googler, I think, and then she moved on to various other roles. But um, sadly, she I don't think she has updated much of her podcast since, I think, end of last year. And that's what sort of prompted me and just thought, mm. why don't I just start it? because it was such an important topic and we can all benefit from it as well. And like what you said, you know, 
you you become what you can see and these days what you can hear as well mm. correct correct i don't think so, there's a more fitting time to actually have more more and more podcasts really yeah uh, yeah 100% you're on you're on the money there jane i think it's fantastic that you've created such a amazing platform for um you know working moms or moms that are in business who are juggling lots of different things to actually you know get inf- inspiration from other people that are on that same journey as well so they don't feel like they're alone yeah, and I think the biggest thing is to give yourself permission. Mm. Thank you so much for being here, Tisha. I really appreciate it. If there is one thing that our listeners can take away from this conversation, what would that be? I think if you you know you talk about giving yourself permission, I think it starts with giving yourself permission to dream. Um, you know, I, I challenge every single listener to sort of you know have that twenty minute block in their diary, open up a canvas, and start a write down, draw, do whatever it is that comes to mind of the ideal life that they want to have if money and time was no longer an issue. Because I think the fact is we always talked about, you know, from a young age, we talk about what you're going to be when you grow up and we all, you know, what are you going to be? What are you going to be? So you almost feel like your job, your role, your title defines you, but we're more than that, right? But Mm. so I think people don't, the question that people don't ask is what type of life do you want to lead as opposed to what you want to be? So I think if you, you can sort of reflect on the type of life you want to lead, a lot of things mm-hmm. become a lot clearer for you. And then all you do is actually have that clarity, the right people will walk in your life. Um, and and you, once you associate with the right people, yeah, I think it, it's an infinite game. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. That is wonderful. No, thank you so much for the opportunity to share with your, with your listeners as well, Jane. Uh, yeah, love, love the work that you're doing. Pleasure. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. Please subscribe and leave us some feedback so we can continue to make the show better for you. If you know a fellow breadwinning mum, please share the show so we can cheer each other on. Until next time.